Hello, welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Graham Wilson. June the 27th is Deafblind Awareness Week. You may be wondering what Deafblind is. It's an international event that raises community awareness of the daily challenges faced by people with deaf blindness. And to tell us more about how this affects people, we're joined by Dr. Meredith Prane, who has worked with deafblind people for over 20 years. Hello, Meredith. Hi, Graham. Tell us about deafblind. What does that term imply? There are two impairments combined, deafness and blindness. Is that right? That's correct. And I think people often imagine that everyone with deaf blindness is like Helen Keller, so totally deaf and totally blind. That's actually only a very small percentage of the group. So most people who are deaf blind would have some vision or some hearing or a bit of both. However, we consider that the whole is greater than some of its parts. So it's not one plus one equals two. Losing your two primary senses is a, a major issue and a barrier. So having combined vision and hearing loss does create many issues for the person. Now, you mentioned um, Helen Keller. June the 27th was her birthday. I'm just trying to find here. I had somewhere where what date she was born. I know she died in the 60s. Uh, the 1960s, that is, but um, she actually wasn't born blind and deaf, was she? That, she? that was a result of something like scarlet fever, as I understand. Yes, that's, that's correct. So I know when I was first working in the area of deaf blindness, I thought, gosh, why aren't these people developing the way that Helen Keller did? And she had quite a good understanding or grasp of language. She was around two when she lost her vision and hearing, so she'd already developed quite a big framework and understanding about her environment and the world and did have that basic language to build upon, whereas people born deafblind don't have those skills to draw upon. When did your involvement start with deafblind awareness? I was a new graduate speech pathologist and looking for work and a friend of mine got a job with the Deafblind Association and didn't enjoy it that much so she moved on and said well you might be interested so I applied and got the job but it's interesting that you ask because I've met quite a lot of people around the world who work in deafblindness and we all say deafblindness finds you you don't find deafblindness and it's not it's such an uncommon condition really uh so yeah most people stumble into it and and a lot of people stay in it for a long long time because it's so varied and diverse and challenging that once you get hooked on it, there's so much learning to be done with people with deaf blindness all the time. You mentioned sight and hearing as being primary senses, and that's mm. basically how we learn about the world, isn't it, through what we hear and what we see? Absolutely. 90% of what we learn is through our vision and hearing. So when those senses are impaired, it's significantly impacts on your ability to learn and your ability to function. All right, so if you were 100% blind and 100% deaf, those two senses would be completely ruled out, but you still have some others, don't you? There are five senses, so you can touch, smell and taste. you'd, You'd predominantly be relying on your sense of touch then, and you would also be extremely dependent on the people around you to provide really good structured learning opportunities for you and be very sensitive and observant to your needs because um, if you're a child in particular, your your behaviours might 
seem unusual, but if you can imagine being deafblind um, and and watch really closely to pick up on on what the child's paying attention to. Yeah. Well, let's say you're looking at somebody who is as intelligent as anybody else Mm -hmm. without those two senses, seeing and hearing. Can they develop in a way that you would say would be comparable? It's with really good support, yes. And particularly now, I know more, more so overseas children are having cochlear implants, so you can restore some hearing function. There's a syndrome called Usher syndrome. So there are people that I know who do have no vision and no hearing and do have normal cognitive ability. So they require a lot of support, but they would sign. They use sign language and it's through tactile signs. So you sign, they put their hands over the top and receive it with their hands instead of with their ears. But you need to adjust the signing a little. And also, so much communication is picked up in by tone of voice and facial expression. So sometimes it can even be confusing if they're being asked a question. So being really clear, drawing a question mark and adding those things in that, you, that many people or you'd usually pick up with facial expression and tone of voice. It's pretty complex and, and you need people working in the area who understand those things to, to best address their needs. Can they then go on to be taught something like Braille? So then, you know, the the world that is open to normal blind people is open to people who also can't hear. Yes, definitely. It's it's tricky and it, it depends the level of vision impairment. We find that adults... So there's a syndrome called Usher syndrome where they're born deaf or born hearing impairment and develop tunnel vision later in life. It's a condition called retinitis pigmentosa that affects their vision. So some of those adults do go totally blind. However, they function so well with the tiny little bit of vision that they have and really persist with print as long as they possibly can before moving on to Braille. But we certainly do work with a number of people who have learnt Braille really effectively. And what's been wonderful with the advances in technology, they can now access the internet, so access emails using Braille. So Braille is a really wonderful skill and opens up that world of internet. How common is it to be both deaf and blind in Australia? They current figures are around 280,000 people, but it's expected to go up to a million in 2050. And that's largely because of an ageing population. So most of us will experience deteriorated vision and hearing in later life. And there's quite a few age-related conditions, such as macular degeneration. I don't know if you're familiar with that, which causes a loss of central vision. So because of the number of age-related vision and hearing, hearing impairments and conditions there's that and because we're living longer lives the the likelihood of having significant vision and hearing loss later in life is is increasingly common um and i think people sometimes think oh well that's just part of getting old but some of the older people that we work with with significant vision and hearing impairments really are very isolated and struggle at family events they need people to be paying that bit more attention and 
And learning different strategies and techniques for managing in the home, managing in the community. So there still are a lot of services and, and technologies that can be used that can make their life a lot, lot easier and keep them connected with people. Yes. Now, going back to the case of Helen Keller, there's some famous story where, and, and there's been movies and she's written her own book about her life as well, but they, they taught her to start reading through the tactile sense that you mentioned earlier. You know, they followed through with some of these different ways of learning and she was able to become quite proficient and was the first person, in fact, to earn a bachelor's degree, uh, the first deaf-blind person who had done so. It's right. She's an amazing woman and obviously a very intelligent woman. She also had incredibly good support. So she had round-the-clock support from somebody that to help and assist her in learning all of those things because... That's the number one thing for any person with deaf blindness. You can't do it without really highly skilled support and someone interpreting for you or getting the information across to you in some other way. So there, there are a lot of different ways that people need information uh, transferred over. Some people who have lost their vision and hearing later in life need a note taker so we'd employ someone to write large print notes to them if they haven't learnt to sign and still have enough vision to see print. Others might need, they might even go to a larger meeting or a workshop and not be able to hear the speaker. So even someone sitting and repeating into their ear so that they are able to hear directly what's being said or interpreters interpreting with, and there's different methods of signing depending on the level of vision so right through from being able to see well enough to pick up sign right through to tactile and if you need tactile sign you actually need two interpreters because it's so much more tiring doing it in that tactile way and they take 20 minute blocks each to convey the message so but just back to Helen Keller, it's, it's around having that one-to-one highly skilled support to help convey information to you and share information back as well. Yes, and the reason we still talk about her is because she was such a driving force behind um, creating awareness for people who were vision and hearing impaired, wasn't she? That's right, yes. Yeah, a, what, a really amazing woman, that's right. What typically is done for a young person now who is deafblind, when they realise that a baby won't be able to see or won't be able to hear, what would happen? So there are a lot of early intervention services that would probably be involved. So there's the whole medical side of things. So there'll be people looking into their vision and hearing and if there are any treatments for those, medical treatments. But then there's a whole range of people to set up things in the child's environment to optimise their their development. So early childhood educators in the area of vision and also hearing speech pathologists, which is my, my own profession, will often be involved. And the term speech pathology can be a bit misleading because we look at all aspects of communication. So whether signing needs to be introduced or other tactile communication methods using objects for communication. Also, orientation and mobility instructors for helping the family teach the child to be able to get around and orient themselves in their environment. Uh, Occupational therapists for exploring and having a 
wide variety of, of tactile experiences. Some children that aren't exposed to all of these things and having them exposed in sort of systematic ways can be very fearful of new experiences because they haven't had them. So, and even physiotherapists, children who are blind, it, 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 they are delayed in walking. It just takes them longer in all their developmental milestones. So it's very confronting and challenging for families because of the wide array of professionals involved in their child's life in, in all aspects of development. What's the, the starting point? Is there somebody who gathers all that together, like a, the family GP who will um, typically consult with a family about their young person in that case? It, yep, a GP is really important. I'm actually just writing... a. Um, some information and I've just been writing about how important a GP is for those referrals but also there are government funding uh, government funding schemes and programs available so and you often need a GP signing off on those um, funding applications so yes a, or a case manager or often the early childhood edu educator is the key key contact person but it, it is important sometimes families end up doing a lot of that sort of case management themselves but certainly a, a good GP can be very yeah, involved with the family case managers or early childhood educators that are across a lot of the the other disciplines and knowing what's going on in the child's life. I can't remember how it came up but in the office last week somebody said what would you rather lose your hearing or your sight? Uh, and it, it, for people who are deaf-blind, it's a, a double whammy. But, you know, if we sit and think about it, we have different priorities about what sense is more important to us. Um, but what you're doing for these people is showing them there is a quality of life in what they have available to them, in mm -hmm. the, either the limited sight, limited hearing, or the other mm -hmm. senses. In my doctoral studies, I... I guess something that I'm particularly passionate about as a speech pathologist is that human contact and connectedness and having what we're having now, a back and forth sharing of information. Uh, I'm doing a bit too much of the talking probably, but ideally a really high quality interaction will be where both partners are equal, both are taking turns to add in a topic and there's this real sense of sharing and connection and that's something that is really difficult for anybody who's deafblind. So looking at skill, giving skills to their family any, and staff who work with them and also raising community awareness to optimise those the quality of interactions. It's not just, you know, getting your needs across and oh, I need to do this now, okay, here you go. But it's that sitting and, and having a shared experience together that's so important to to all of us as human beings. It's fundamental to being human, having that shared connection with others. There in lies being an equal with others. Well that's the, that's where the problem of interaction where those of us who have all of our faculties as it were all of our senses working um, we find it hard to imagine how people who can't perceive the world that way can either enjoy themselves or but they do don't they absolutely if you came along to one of our deafblind camps you'd be amazed how much fun and it's still the highlight of the camp is everyone getting together and sharing because every single person has one-to-one -one support for the entire weekend so just having that one-to-one -one support they automatically have a, a highly skilled communication partner that they can 
hang out with and chat with as they move through the different activities that they do. There's rock climbing, uh, canoeing, archery, going to wineries, going to chocolate factories, all sorts of activities, but also that they love getting together and just sharing tips and, and frustrations, just knowing that other people are experiencing the same challenges and issues that they are can be really empowering and supportive and, and having people who, who take the time and effort to, to communicate with them. So absolutely, with, with the right support, they can lead a very full and, and active and rich life. Given that this is an awareness week, Deafblind Awareness Week, and that we are finding out maybe for the first time about the deafblind people amongst our society, what's the key thing for us to know? I think you've probably already touched on it, that first and foremost they're people too. They may not interact with the world exactly as we do, but what are the real needs? What would you like the wider society to know about our deafblind friends? One of the biggest challenges of deaf blindness is that it's often an invisible disability. So people might meet people with deaf blindness and not even realise. <laughs> and they might have a, a cochlear implant or hearing aids that are visible, but they're not always if their hair covers them and they might not, it's not always easy to tell that someone has a vision issue. So I guess just being really mindful that not everyone can see and hear and and if someone doesn't respond immediately they might not being rude or distracted they might not have heard you so just being aware to get people's attention maybe waving maybe tapping the back of their hand um and and not sort of judging or jumping to conclusion that someone's rude or ignoring you and and taking the time to to get to know people and and finding out what their needs are that's the thing with people with deaf blindness all of their needs are very different <laughs> it's it's a, not a huge uh, group of people and then within them there's there's a lot of different communication methods so it's it's a strategy for any other human being really taking the time to get to know what their needs are and how best you can meet them getting the lighting right reducing background noise i know a lot of people with deaf blindness have huge trouble in cafes and when the music's turned up loud and the dim lighting these things that are trendy are actually real barriers to accessing communication and if somebody asks you to turn the radio down or adjust the lighting to do it if you can to, to make life easier for them i know a lot prefer to sit outside because it's easier so just just asking, is there something I can do to, to make this situation easier for you? Asking the person, putting it back to them and not assuming that you know what will help. And even if you met one deafblind person and think, oh, right, well, I'll know what to do next time, it chances are the next person you meet will have very different needs. So so checking in and, and asking the individual what, what will work best for them. Now, I know there are support services. There are very good support services around and fundraising like the, the morning tea. We'll give the web address at the end for mm-hmm. ABLE Australia. In fact, it's a very easy one. I'll just drop it in now then, ableaustralia.org.au. Mm-hmm. And there's um, the Deaf Blind Association. Each state has its own organisations. But um, is there generally good support for um, deafblind people from a government point of view or does that need to be shored up? It definitely needs to be improved. There does need to be better recognition of people with deafblindness. I think 
governments generally and the population in general, when they think of people with disabilities, they tend to think of people with physical disabilities, people who use wheelchairs and people with intellectual disabilities. People who are deafblind often don't have an intellectual disability or a physical disability. However, they still have very significant and major support needs and they need specialist services that understand those support needs. So having that, that need for specialist understanding is, is really important. And with the National Disability Insurance Scheme rolling out, Having good advocates that can go along to planning meetings that understand the needs of people with deaf blindness is going to be really important. Um, often people with deaf blindness aren't even able to, to get their needs and messages across that well using interpreters. So, so having uh, good advocates and having planners who are open and understand these, these needs of people with deaf blindness, there, there definitely needs to be more awareness around the needs of, of this group. Now, you mentioned uh, your specialty being speech pathology. Does that also cover signing? Yes. There's not that many speech pathologists who sign, but having worked in the area for 20 years and having so many deaf colleagues, and I had a deaf uh, manager, and I went to many sign language classes. So, yes, I do sign, and it's been a big part of my role is encouraging more sign language particularly for people with who were born deafblind sign language is really important for that group of people even as adults now there's there's often not nearly enough skilled staff who are able to sign so developing staff skills in being able to sign and sign appropriately sign in a tactile way or sign up quite close in a way that the person is able to see it so it's it's not always the role of a speech pathologist, but certainly in the area of deaf blindness, it's a very important um, skill to have, or, or just to be aware aware of those needs anyway. Is tactile signing similar to visual signing? Yes, it's very similar, and it's it's interesting when people aren't used to it, they they really can't work out how you do it, but. Someone with Usher syndrome who's born deaf, grows up signing, then their vision deteriorates over time. They already have the full sign language and understanding of the language. So then it's a matter of just placing their hand over the person's hand to, to receive the information through their hands instead of through their vision. Uh, so it, it's mostly the same. There's, there's some adjustments that are made. For example, the sign dog, you tap your leg. So having to follow, track a hand all the way down to the leg is, is hard, far to go. You want to keep your hands sort of up in the same position. So you might spell it or there's American sign for dog, which you don't need to move your hands as far away. So there's some little adjustments like that that are made. But for the most part, the signing's the same. It might be slightly slower, but there's, there also always is more misunderstanding because you might, there's signs like... Um, oh, I can't think of any, but signs that are close to the face. It can be hard to know if someone's pointed to their chin or pointed to their forehead, depending on how tall the person is. And things like that can be misunderstood. So 
it is really important to go a bit slower and to just double-check that the person's following the, the conversation. Do they cross language barriers, these signs, or not? I mean, if you can sign for an English a, person, will a German person understand the same signs? There, there are different sign languages in each country, okay. and people get very annoyed about that and say, why don't we just have one international one? But it, people don't get grumpy about having uh, so many spoken languages. So, no. And language is cultural, so it grows out of culture. And so the deaf community in each country, that language will have grown out of their culture. So there's certainly BSL, British Sign Language, and Auslan, which is the Australian language used by the Australian deaf community. They're very similar. I've been surprised when I've met people who use BSL and went, oh, we can understand each other. This is good. <laughs> uh, but American Sign is quite different and, yeah, Sign language in other countries is, is quite different to Australian. For example, Australian, to spell the alphabet, you need two hands, but Americans only use one hand to spell the, their alphabet. So those alphabets are really very different. On June 27th, you'll be having a cuppa somewhere, I imagine. Tell yes, us, just yes. tell us about how this works. You can do it. That's on the day itself, isn't it, between 10 That's and midday? That's right. Well, People are hoping, well, yeah, Able Australia are hoping anyone, any time that week you can host it. But 27th is the big day. It would be great if lots of people can do it on that day. So it's just getting people together in your home, getting some friends or in your workplace, getting your colleagues together to raise some money. So gold coin donation or however much people are willing to contribute to, to go towards providing support for people with deaf blindness. And Able Australia have some resources and information sheets, so it'd just be good to take those along to the morning tea so people can find out a little bit more about deaf blindness and even perhaps take along the Auslan fingerspelling and perhaps learn to fingerspell your name would be a great activity and all just practice seeing if you can read each other's names. And better still, close your eyes and see if you can feel the, the, the fingerspelling and just have a bit of an idea of stop for a moment to think what your life would be like if you were deaf blind and and recognize how much support you'd need and that it's a pretty worthy cause to to give some money to does able australia handle things other than deaf blind yes so able australia is was formerly the deaf blind association they do now work with people with multiple disabilities. So they have accommodation services and adult day programs and day services for people with multiple disabilities. They do have a whole deafblind services arm and have community development workers in Adelaide, Brisbane and Sydney. Um, but the, the majority of their deafblind services are based in Victoria. Um, but certainly we do have other accommodation services and community services in Queensland and um, accommodation services in Tasmania, the ACT and Victoria. So, yeah, they, there are quite a few other services that ABLE Australia offer. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Meredith. I've appreciated talking to you and learned quite a lot about this wonderful group in our community people who are affected by deaf blindness and uh, how we can be of help. Great. Thanks for your time, Graham. Thanks a lot. Dr Meredith Prane has been my guest. She's worked with deaf blind people for over 20 years and joined us today on Wellbeing. That web address again, if you'd like to contribute, having the morning tea on June 27th or any other way, have a look at the website, ableaustralia.org.au. 
I'm Graham Wilson. Thanks to my producer and all of us at Wellbeing. Wish you well.